Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer. It has sure been a, a long time since we've done this. 100%. Um, it feels good. Like I think, you know, you were saying when we first got in here, like, this place is awesome. Like, we kind of forgot how cool it is. I just uh, I just looked it up on my phone. You guys obviously know this. Our last podcast was June 30th mm-hmm. of this year, and now we are in November. So a long time has went by. A lot of things have happened, and that's what we're going to be talking about in uh, this podcast. So welcome back to Off the Track. Feels great to be back in the studio. We really enjoy this space, and we spent so much time in the beginning of 2021 in here shooting. Oh, yeah. And then life just got busy, like race season ramped up, and I think we kind of underestimated like the lack of time and obviously with traveling, um, us being in Southern Oregon, where this is all at. Like, this is kind of hard to pack up all this and bring it with us and then also have, you know, the hour and actually a lot more longer than an hour to shoot, but then also edit, upload, all that kind of thing. You know, when you're living out of an RV and, you know, your resources are Walmart, truck stops, all that. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of funny because, like you said, packing all this up and bringing it with us, we actually did pack it all up and bring it with yeah. us. Um, and I think our intentions were good, like we said, but I think right off the bat when we first left, we may have mentioned this in a video, but... We tried to upload a podcast and we actually missed the upload time just because we couldn't get it to go all the way on service. Then we got to a truck stop. Did it even go that night? I think we literally sat in a truck stop till 3 a.m. Yeah. Like three hours in in like one of the worst (laughs) truck stops ever. You know, we're in like this one little bench in the back and the janitor's walking by every 10 minutes like staring at us. And we I bought like five dollar Wi-Fi and I tried to get it to go. And uh, it, it was just, you know, it was just part of the, the journey and everything, yeah. you know, as we were still trying to upload. But eventually we got to a point where we we're just like, you know what, maybe we'll have to give this a break and then come back. And yeah. then that was just kind of a learning, uh, a learning curve as, you know, the podcast, we had a lot of fun shooting it. And we obviously wanted to continue every single week. But I think it was actually good. We, we took that break. We kind of, you know, learned a lot of things. And now that we're coming back, you know, we kind of have an idea of what we need to do to keep this a little bit more consistent as we go into 2022. Well, one of the cool things, too, um, that happened with taking this break is a lot of people actually have been asking me, you know, are the podcasts done? Where'd they go? When are they coming back? Yeah. So uh, it motivates me and I know it would motivate you to yeah. know that people still want to see these. And uh, I think we both agree. These are uh, a really fun form of content that we like making. So um, it's just pretty cool to see you guys wanting them back. And here they are. Yeah. And it's just fun to talk for, I mean, I, I'm a big talker myself and I know yeah. you are too, just to be able to deep dive, which is exactly what we're going to do uh, in today's show from literally that last episode on June 30th until now, just recapping all the sprint car races we went to, places, tracks, people we met. I mean, yep. it really was incredible um, how 2021 went. And, and also, I think what made it tough um, is as we were trying to do the podcast, you know, obviously we we're racing, content, all that. And in we're literally in the most challenging environment racing against the best, you know, the all-star circuit of champions. We got to go up against the outlaws at one point this year. And it's it. And we talked about it in the Ohio speed week um, show. It's just phenomenal to see how good some of these guys really are. You know, we, we watch them on flow. We watch them on dirt vision and you, you get a sense and you obviously see how intense it is, but being there at the track, sitting next to these guys in staging, watching them, you know, slide each other and drive 110%, take no laps off. 
I mean, uh, you, you really realize that these guys are the best in the world. Absolutely. And I think one thing that's going to be cool to talk about a little bit later is obviously Knoxville. We got to go to Knoxville yeah. for nationals and whatnot. But, uh, you know, just the atmosphere of these locations as well. Like, um, you know, we always see these places on, you know, videos of old races, current races, racing stuff like that. And you, you kind of get the grasp of the feeling to be there, but to actually be there for the first time on the infield. I don't know if the camera truly could caption how yeah. we both felt on our vlogs, but um, wow, that was a totally awesome experience too. Yeah, it's just like even rolling into, you mentioned Knoxville, you know, pulling the RV, you know, through into the infield, because not yeah. many times do we get to go and park in the infield. But just like that, just like any other race team, you know, we're, we're from Southern Oregon. We've never even really seen a racetrack as big as Knoxville until yeah. this trip. We saw a couple other larger places, but just an incredible experience. So to kind of pick up where we left off with, I think, episode 23 was our last or 24. Yeah, uh, we had Fourth of July. We were kind of going into that. And for our 4th of July, we raced the Freedom Cup with Carly, which was like a, a Trophy Cup style limited format yeah. uh, at the Cottage Grove Speedway. And Carly actually looked really, really good. I think that was only her fourth or fifth race, but she got to run three nights in a row there. And uh, she ended up coming home, I think, fourth in points after the weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, she ran, I think, up front kind of the first night. Then she actually was high point late or high point person going into night number two, had to start in the back of the A main event and was able to charge up and then eventually ran fourth on the final night. And kind of as we got through Freedom Cup was really where our trip and our schedule ramped up for July. You know, like yeah. June, I think June we did 14 shows, July we did like 15. Yeah. And we got right into Oregon Speed Week, which is one of my favorite thing, uh, favorite pieces of, or, favorite races to run in just week. speed week. Yeah. 360 yeah. speed week, just because it's close to home. It's places we're really comfortable at. We've been to. And now that this was our third 360 speed week, it kind of felt like we had been there, done that. Yeah. And we were just going into all these races, just like as one of the top guys. Yeah. It was also cool. Um, like kind of on my side is I actually went on the infield at some of these locations that we've been to before, but it was the first time I actually went on the infield, such as like Coos Bay. We got some cool angles, cool shots. Um, I remember also at Willamette, we got some good shot stuff and also at uh, Banks, the Banks yeah. Ring. You just posted um, more 360 races at Banks. Yes. And, that, and when you posted that, I kind of had a question for you. <clears throat> what do you think about a 410 at Banks? just too small I, I think it'd be cool I, I mean, think it'd be crazy it would be it'd be weird you know I think though maybe a 410 it, it could be one of those places where like the 410s could surprise you you know there's yeah. racetracks out there where they're built to be 410 tracks I'm not saying that's necessarily banks it's so small <laughs> yeah but it, it would just be interesting I think a lot of it would be you know rolling around barely on the gas but it could produce an interesting style of racing that right. we have not really seen before uh, at the end of the day I think it's a nice enough facility in the pit area and stuff as far as like usually 410 teams obviously you know big teams yeah. big haulers all that um so I don't, I don't think you ever see like the world of outlaws there one day just because the only thing that they don't have going for them is they Stands. can't they can't bring in enough people right they are very close to portland which is far north so that's the largest city uh so they have the people there but i just you know not necessarily a lot of race fans and the chance to yeah. even hold that many i think their maximum capacity is like 1500 people uh, but it always puts on a good show. One of the tracks we got to go to on the second trip back to the Midwest was Humboldt Speedway. Yeah. I think you remember Humboldt. Yeah. That's kind of similar to Banks. I think it's a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and maybe the corners, me of it. the corners are probably a little bit wider, but 
Um, you know, I was comparing that back to a track back home and it seemed fairly similar. Yeah, I think it was a little bit bigger, but like as far as the grandstands and just the feel, the banking, it felt yeah. exactly uh, like the Banks Bowl Ring. But Oregon Speed Week was actually one of our most successful weeks yeah. of the year. Uh, we ran in the top five every night except one. So four nights in the top five, competed for wins. One thing I wanted to touch on, because I want to give a shout out to the Coos Bay Speedway. Yeah. That was the opening night of Speed Week in July. And we saw arguably, I think, the best surface I've ever seen at Coos Bay. Would you say the best surface of 2021? Possibly. You yeah. know, I mean, for for our expectations going into it, you know, that's not a, a knock at Coos Bay, but... I think it's no secret that sometimes sprint cars, you're not really sure what to expect. It can get very narrow or it can get like we saw, but yeah. um, you know, the racing all night was good. Qualifying was, you know, fairly fast, but you know, not right around the bottom, a little right through the middle. And then the heat races, you could pass in the heat races. You could run, you know, right a little bit higher than qualifying lane. And then you could also work the bottom. And if you were kind of in between the two lanes, it was, it was loose. It was slick. Yeah. You know, you weren't just able to drive wherever, and then, you know, when the A-Main event rolled around, Corey Day, a young, young gun. Large I, charge on the top. Absolutely. Found a line that no one would ever think would work at Coos Bay and ended up going on to win the race. We ran fourth. I think Justin Cox was second. Colby Copeland was third. But just, I mean, the widest. I mean, Coos Bay, to give you a visual, I mean, it banks up and then it flattens, flattens off. off. We were on the flat. Like, yeah. you just wouldn't expect that for a place, um, you know, with how that place is shaped. You know, we were up on the water truck lane pretty much. It, it, it was pretty neat. It was pretty cool to watch, especially from the infield and turns three and four, I think I was recording. Um, because normally, like you said, in three and four especially, I would say it's on the bottom. Because yeah. one and two, I've seen sprint cars up on top, but three and four, usually there's juice, off, juice yeah. off of four and whatnot. But it was pretty cool just to watch all the cars transition up to the top ones. Corey got past them. And then from there, the race was on. A lot of sliders were thrown in that race. And that's the hardest part is like a driver, you know. I know what Coos Bay is like, so I kind of have, and that's where I feel like someone like Corey in a way has a slight advantage in that situation because, yeah. you know, as a driver, when you race at places, you kind of mentally are thinking you're already starting to eliminate options on where yeah. to drive on the track because you've only, you've seen what the place does. So right. you're like, all right, chances of it being up close to the fence it's it's pretty narrow and it ended up doing that yeah and so i was rolling around in second kind of just waiting for lap traffic and sure enough Corey blew by us i knew immediately i needed to move up just because there's no way someone could be going that fast not you know with what i was doing there's no way someone was doing what i was doing that much better right on the line i was in it had to be something different right and um so that was that was a, a incredible night and hopefully coos bay really took some notes and you know i think they did enjoy yeah and i think the fans had a had a fun time you know watching that race play out through lap traffic and in some of the battles throughout the top five. Uh, after that, we went to Willamette. Yep. Willamette was all right. You know, it was a, a little bit, it eventually went rubber down, but for most of the feature, you could kind of move around and pass some cars. I know we started like fifth and ran third. Yeah. Uh, well, there's going to be one thing I wanted to mention too. And I think it was kind of a line you found, and I don't know if it was in maybe the heat race or the main event, but it was almost in three and four, you would enter completely missed three and four. Yeah. Like, Staying near left side in the infield, come up to the grip off of four, and it was it was a rocket. It was weird. It was like, so what we ended up doing, yeah, is like I moved my wing back so I could like drive in hard, like right through the yeah. slick. And then like on exit, there was a small grip lane, and it's like you were just trying to hit it with as much momentum and shoot you off the corner because yeah. there wasn't a lot off the bottom, but it was just so much shorter around. 
and I was able to kind of make some maneuvers to to get in the top three. And maybe with a yellow, we might have had a shot. I think once again we were behind Justin Cox and uh, Kobe Copeland, yeah. which. Kobe Copeland had a pretty phenomenal week. One of our previous podcast guests, he, I think he probably went home with almost $10,000 yeah. by between winning the finale of Western Sprint Tour and a couple of the other nights. But So we ran good at Willamette. Banks, you know, Banks was a, a little bit of a disappointing track because of, you know, what it had potential to be. It was smooth, but it just ended up being a little bit too juiced around the bottom. Around the bottom, yeah. And uh, we ended up running second there. Maybe had a shot to win late if a couple more things went our way or I could have hit my marks a little bit better. But a good night because we came from fourth. And then Cottage Grove the last two nights. Um, good surfaces. The only disappointing thing about Cottage Grove is they really tried to work the track so it wouldn't take rubber, and they did everything they could, but it was still rubbering down probably between laps 15 and 20. So yeah. the whole second half of the race, once you kind of got to where you got, single filed out, and it just it was more, you know, is what it is. So uh, Western Sprint Tour, though, was definitely one of my favorite weeks, as I mentioned, tracks I'm comfortable with. We ran really good, definitely a confidence booster. And then after that, like three days after we ran the final race of Oregon Speed Week, we were already in the RV, trucking uh, into Missouri to race at the Lake Ozark Speedway, yeah. which is a place I've seen a lot of videos about in the past, never ran. And when we walked up there first, climbed out of the RV, and man, that was a huge, pay, uh, or a huge change from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Back to the humidity. It's hotter than hot. Like, you know, we're at a beautiful racetrack. The facility's nice. Walk up to the place, and... Definitely one of the widest tracks I've ever seen for the size of it. Yeah, no, it was big. And uh, one quick story that I wanted to mention when you mentioned the humidity is like, so when we went back to the Midwest for the first trip to Ohio Speed Week, I think it was pretty humid. It was hot. It was, it, I feel like it wasn't as bad as some, but yes. Yeah, it wasn't as bad. But when we got out of the RV at Lake Ozark, when I tell you the first night we spent there, we died. We actually died because so. <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. So I was up on. I was up on the top bunk because that's just the way we yeah. sleep in our RV. And uh, I I think you had come down or yeah. did you did you uh, did no, you fall? No. Okay. So yeah. So Bennett and I sleep up there because there's a ton of room. Yeah. I think so. We also store the bags up there. I think that there was yeah. like some like our suitcases. Like there's in our RV. There's not actually a lot of storage, so we all have our bags. So we kind of put them up top and there's still enough room in the bunk bed <laughs> yeah. for there to for us to sleep up there and then kind of be crowded with the bags but we kind of just make it work with the amount of people we had and uh I've never really I don't think I've ever mentioned it I'm, I'm a little bit of a sleepwalker yeah and, or, or a sleep talker it's it's pretty bad I, I thought I would have outgrown <laughs> it by now but like Bennett was saying we started dying because it got so hot and we turned the and AC humid. off yeah yeah and the AC was off because the the generator was off and we were kind of kicking it on and off well eventually we got to the system of kicking it on and off throughout the night to keep yeah. it cool but we thought it was all right we opened all the windows well I woke up well I wasn't actually even awake <laughs> I, I was asleep, but I started sleepwalking probably because I kind of, I got, we got hot up there yeah. and I literally dove off the bunk bed into the, I don't know what I hit. I think I hit the couch where Carly was sleeping. Sleeping. Yeah. And I was freaking out. I was trying to get out the door and then like my mom and everyone woke up. Everybody started freaking out in the RV. Like I, I like literally jumped off the bunk bed and then I was outside like getting ready to possibly throw up or I was sick and yeah. yeah it was a mess well what happened too is when you got off like I think you went to lay down there and they put more pillows and stuff up so it kind of blocked and there's not <laughs> much room in the top so it kind of like blocked yeah. me in on the inside <laughs> and when I tell you I woke up like I was about ready to throw up or pass out because I was so <laughs> hot like I got out got up got out of the RV and I was like 
Yeah. yeah we, how we many more days do we, we have of we this? We can't even exaggerate. Like, like how that went. Like, one, how hot it was up there. Like, and then two, I'm not joking when I said, like, I jumped off the bunk yeah. bed. Like, the whole situation was a complete disaster. And uh, so after that, I think I ended up sleeping on the couch next to Carly because, well, and actually since then, I've, I have not slept on up the bunk bed because all, yeah. that obviously I lost the trust of, and probably <laughs> for my own safety because the fact of how that all went down. But yeah, so we learned that back there, you definitely need to run the AC during yeah. the night. Otherwise you might die. It's just so different because back here our like it gets up to 115 sometimes in Reading, maybe 120 on a rare occasion, but that's dry heat and dry heat. You can normally cool off fairly quick because you sweat and whatnot, but a humid heat, it's just always sticking to you. It's nowhere, no matter where you go in the RV, whatnot. But I will tell you what, by the time the main event rolls around for the races there, uh, some of the best sunsets I've ever seen yeah. at Lake Ozark and some of the like nicest weather to watch in. Yeah, we were in a super nice part of Missouri. I know that there was, I think, a major freeway right next to us. Yeah. You know, Lake Ozark has this huge sign, you know, come to Lake Ozark Speedway. It was definitely well worth it. I mean, there we raced against, I think we had around 34 tens. Uh, Bell was there, all all the all-star regulars, mm -hmm. uh, a great show. And one of the weirdest things about that place is, man, like you watch, especially um, around the high side, is, you know, it seems like you can really charge it in. And the bottom's actually not hard to run either. You just have to make sure you stick it. But like, man, the top side, you really have to follow it. And you watch these videos off of two, and it really flattens off. And you can feel it in the race car. Um, that was one of the more unique things about the track is just, you know, even where it looks like there's grip, that place gets pretty slick yeah. and racy. Uh, the first night we ran 11th, which was actually my best night with the All-Stars out of the whole trip. And then the second night, I think we did get lapped at some point, um, and I had to start a little bit farther back. After we uh, ran Lake Ozark, we did Humble on Sunday, which we yeah. talked about. Definitely a unique, small track in the middle of just a little town in Kansas. It felt like you were in the Midwest. It it was pretty cool. And one thing I want to give props for um, on Humboldt, but one second, one thing I want to mention at Lake Ozark. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to NHRA. Have you been to an NHRA race? Uh -uh. Top Fuel Dragster Racing. When Top Fuel Dragsters go, you feel it in your chest. And everyone that knows they've been there knows that feeling. <clears throat> Every sprint car race I've been to, you hear the sprint cars, but at Lake Ozark in the heat races, when you guys get wound up yeah. around the outside in the 410s there, I don't know what it is because I was up on the like VIP well, no boxes. No mufflers too. No mufflers on top of the VIP boxes. You feel the cars in your chest and it's right. It's only a certain time of the night when they're at maximum speed because by the main event, it kind of like slows down and whatnot. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to mention that was pretty cool. But also at Humboldt Speedway that we're, like we're talking, um, we've never seen this and it was kind of like a, a boardwalk up on oh, top yeah. of the outside of turn four, right? Yeah. And it kind of went towards the center of turn three and four, but it was awesome. Like that yeah. was one of the coolest spots to stand and watch because you're almost on top of the cars. It was a little bridge like over uh, where we enter and exit the track. And yeah. I mean, yeah, you could see the whole track because this place isn't that big. I think they had it classified as a three eights, but it was smaller. It's like a yeah. one third, maybe even a quarter, you know, and but it but man, it got pretty racy. They kind of worked it for the feature. So it was mainly around the bottom. Yeah, but I mean. I remember in qualifying, I was one of the first guys out, and I remember watching the guys that went out late. Like, it started out with a little bit of grip, but, I mean, it was almost on the wall yeah. in one end, and then it was much faster in three and four. But, like, yeah, that was just one of those places, you know, one, I don't think anybody in the field had probably ever ran there before besides maybe, like, there was one or two sprint car races. Yeah. You know, there were not many, and they were all 360 shows. So I think that was the first time a 410 sprint car had ran around that place. And it was a treat, and I'm sure the All-Stars will be going back because it seemed like they got a super positive response from not only the crowd, but 
you know, the drivers, you know, and, and for a, a nice Sunday show, only 19 cars, but I yeah. mean, for a nice Sunday show, quick, got through it. It was a good night for all of us to get experience. Well, one of the cool things too is from a spectator standpoint, the race up front actually with Corey Lyson, I think it was yeah. Tyler Courtney and Courtney got him uh, right there at the end. Yeah. That was actually... Um, uh, like the race was solid because when they got to lap traffic, I think Courtney started working the middle, the top and one yeah. and two when everyone was just on the bottom. But uh, anyways, that was a, that was a pretty cool race because it got into lap traffic and the lines kind of did change a little bit around there, but um, and, I, it, and being a track, no one had ever ran before. It's right. kind of like that unknown. It's factor. like a toss up on who it could be. After we went from humble, well, the next night was I-70. We had a night off in I-70. I-70 yeah. And I-70 to talk about that place. One, it's a wow for many reasons. I, yeah, it, I think we both agree. I thought we were at a NASCAR facility. NASCAR facility, you look at the racetrack, you, we walked up because we got there the night before because we had to work on the car a little bit and we didn't have anywhere else to go. We were already close from where uh, we were driving through. So we're like, all right, you know, we'll just go to the track early. And everyone said it was fairly nice. So we, we parked or whatever, got the car out working on it. We just walk up to the track and like you look at the banking at this place. and You're like, this is wow. Like this, yeah. not only is this place fairly large, you know, it's not the biggest track you've ever seen before, but like the banking from yeah. bottom to top. It's not like even flat. Like it's, it's, it's banked. It's banked. And, um, you know, watching videos from when the outlaws were there, you're like, man, this could be a pretty fast night all yeah. night. And sure enough, it was rolling out for qualifying. Oh, also actually to mention the facility itself, yeah. I think it could hold like 10,000 people. I mean, it, like the nicest stadium stands, you know, um, just clean, you know, not a whole lot to the facility, but just a super clean professional facility. One of the biggest things I like about a race facility that's very well put together and clean. And I think this place really shows it off the best is you have the main grandstands and the announcer's booth is on top and they're all uniformed, like looked beautiful and right behind them. And it's cool because their grandstands are concrete, I think so yeah. concrete pillars and whatnot, uh, right behind them are all the concessions and they keep them in a nice little, um, almost corralled area. So you get your tickets and right as you get your tickets to enter to watch, you have to be fed through all the concessions. And I think one, that's great because you get to learn um, who some of the drivers are there that night if you're not too um, up to date with who might be racing. And two, it's just great for the sport. It's great for, you know, when when they have you, because some tracks I think are a little against having you sell t-shirts at certain yeah, events yeah. or something like that. They were all and for that. For the they driver. were all for it, and they had every single concession stand right there behind the track. And I think it's just great for the fanfare. I yeah. mean, it's just awesome in that environment, place, right? The environment, and I think that place really showed it off. And it was just, it was awesome the way they had everything so uniformed. It was pretty much a top tier facility. Absolutely, and I'm sure that place will have more sprint car races with the success that they saw. Um, it ended up being pretty much wide open all night, or yeah. you know, most of the night, just fast, fairly narrow. Uh, that's the only critique I would say, and it's super easy from the outside looking in, but it would be nice if the bottom wasn't as banked because what ended up right. happening is you really couldn't run up as high on the track as maybe we, we would have liked. You I know, think you're about run. halfway up. Yeah, halfway up at most, but it seemed like, you know, most guys, even if they're out front, you know, they didn't necessarily have to use the whole track. You know, mm -hmm. they it, as certain lines changed a little bit, you know, you kind of just keep your foot in it and, um, you know, just trying to find the best way to carry momentum. Yeah. You know, even on the straightaways, like how wide, it's just, it's crazy. You have to see that place in person. It's way different than what it looks like on video. Um, and our night didn't end great there. I ended up, Zeb Wise hit an infield tractor tire in front of us. And I, I got caught in one of those situations. Maybe if you're in a driver, you've had this happen. But I got indecisive because I, I looked ahead. I saw him wreck. I went to go high. And then all of a sudden I realized that I shouldn't go high. I needed to go low. And I just got caught in the middle and I ended up hitting him with my right rear 
uh, which caused a good amount of damage, um, but did not hinder our trip. We just had to fix it for what ended up being the yeah. next racetrack, Missouri State Fair. Yeah, which that place was awesome too. This place is probably one of the, like, I'm really glad we went here because yeah. originally our schedule, we were going to go back to Kansas and run a couple ASCS national nights, which I do apologize that we didn't end up doing that. I know that's originally what we promoted, mm -hmm. but just things change on the fly. And it was like, well, that doesn't make sense actually to go do that. Why not? Why don't we just stay with the all-stars, run two more nights with the 410? Because it's kind of a pain. Not only do you have to switch swap motors, swap engines, but then also you have to change your tires over because you run different tires, uh, right yeah. rear and left rears with ASCS National Tour. So it just it just didn't make sense. You know, not only were we going to drive a couple extra hours when the next racetrack for the All-Stars is right there, but, you know, just a lot more work yeah. um, for us to have to turn back around and switch it all back over to go run four, more 410 stuff. So we went to Missouri State Fair, like fairgrounds right in the middle in this town called Sedalia, Missouri. Yeah. Like, uh, man, it, it felt actually a little bit like the West Coast with some of the stuff you'd maybe see in California because, like I said, fairgrounds. But then you walk up to the racetrack, Old horse track, 1900s. The grandstands are massive. Huge. Largest grandstands I've ever seen my whole life, probably. And I think they were some of, like, like the oldest large oh, yeah. grandstands I've ever seen. Like, it almost gave me uh, vibes of Fremont Speedway. Yes. You know how old Fremont kind of is yeah. in the grandstand area? It gave me those same vibes, except way bigger. Oh, yeah. And I, I think the water truck was an old school water truck. What They said they yeah. just had, like, a that maybe, like, a thousand gallons. I don't know. It was, like... they. Pretty much to give you a, a visual, he had every lap he could only do one truck or one lap around this half mile, and, he'd have and then he'd up. have to fill it back up. Like yeah. it, it was just an old school water truck, um, and so that was neat. I think we had just enough for a full field there, and big flat. You know, actually got really racy. I was really yeah. surprised how good it got. Um, so we ended up, we had a couple, at this point in the trip, we started having some engine issues, I think after I-70, uh, because that I-70, our engine got really hot, really hot. as a lot of guys a did. Lot of I did, mean, yeah. the, that's probably one of the hardest nights I've ever, that is definitely the hardest night I've ever had on an engine. I mean, yeah. wide open, you're just spinning RPM on the gas and, um, they, they just don't get a break when you're racing, you know, especially when you don't have many yellows. Uh, so we started having some engine issues. So we were kind of in the back all night. And then in the A, we had one of the craziest things I've ever had happen, which was the wing ram, the Heim. Uh, I don't know if we... Did it back out? Yeah, it backed out. And so I lost my wing slider. And then so like when I started going down the straightaways, <laughs> it'd go in the trunk. So I'm like driving it like this with my front end in the air. Then I go in the corner and it would like shoot forward. Dive, yeah. It was the craziest thing. And uh, so I just kind of just had to deal with that. But I think we still ran like 14th or 15th after a couple guys had dropped yeah. out. But what, what a race for the lead that night. Zeb Wise flew over the wall, like yeah. all sorts of stuff happened in the feature. I was going to mention too, this facility, to give it kind of a um, a perspective on how old maybe it is, and, and when I say old, not bad, like this is an awesome yeah. facility, is you know how back in the day you watch old NASCAR clips, maybe at Phoenix or whatnot, the walls back in the day used to be K-Rail, like on a highway or something, that's all it is around yeah. the outside of the track um, at the if state you catch a wheel, yeah, like you can it's, easily. All it is is um, K-Rail. And when I stand up, it's about waist high on me. So, like, it was funny for Mudpack. I don't know if you saw me. I went and got some clips yeah. with the K-Rail and whatnot. But I was like, I can't believe these cars are about to fly around here at how fast. Yeah. And all of this is is K-Rail. And so uh, that really provided for some really cool shots on the outside of turns three and four. And then also on the infield to watch 
um, it provided for some great viewing because I think I was standing on a tow truck with uh, the crew chief or Casey Kane. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. I got to talk to him a little bit, but um, that's when you come in and uh, so much happened there because I think originally I was like, well, our night might be done. Yes. Because you pulled in, but then we had a red flag, right? Because right yes. as you pulled in, that's oh, when Zeb. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it uh, saved us. I got a flat. I think I got a flat. You it got was. a flat. And also the engine was running a little hot. But so I pulled in. Zeb flies over the wall. They revert back. Pretty we, much like a 10, 15 minute red which flag. Which more guys came in because they had tire problems. Like yeah. just everyone was having, I mean, half miles are hard yeah. on tires. I mean, it's getting black. It's slick. There's not any grip. Turn two. Was there, was there a, uh, was there a curb? Yes, I developed two. a curb off of two. Which That's was why like, so many people would get either tight on the curb or Zeb flipped over it and it actually provided for some great moves. Oh, incredible racing. And then because it got so wide, the bottom came back and yeah. it was just like, man, I actually would love to go back and run that place again because it had a lot of character for when you first walk up, you're like, oh boy, we're, we're literally racing on just uh, like- It's going to be wide open around the bottom, yeah, but like it actually was It, it, it was not that at all. It was um, incredible. So Missouri State Fair- is actually at the top for one of the most unique, cool, like you're like, all right, show up here in the Midwest. Like this was, um, that was a blast. So next on the schedule after we ran the Missouri State Fair Speedway is we went north and we were back in Iowa for Friday, Saturday, uh, the first night at 34 Raceway and then our first trip to Knoxville. But to touch on 34, that place was, uh, it, it, in a way, it was like a smaller version of Elmo, in my opinion, which is a track we have here in the Pacific Northwest, except it kind of banked all the way up through the racetrack. And the qualifying shots there, I remember, like, fast, on the gas, right on the edge, and we had another good field of cars. Yeah, that was the first time <clears throat> they had, a uh, like, a chain-link fence up around the outside of the corner, but it only kind of started almost through the halfway through turn three, so I took my drone out there and... I'm getting kind of more risky with the drone and we were kicking around the idea of flying it in the, in the building at Red Bluff. But anyways, that was the first time I kind of, I wanted to fly it low and I wanted to get the cars entered. Well, on the camera, it's like I'm getting bombarded with rocks and dirt and stuff. So it provided for some great shots, but it was a little sketchy because I'm like, this thing's going down or it's getting destroyed or whatnot. Yeah. 34 ended up being a, a pretty good racing surface. It was mm -hmm. a little fast and then it slickened off. And they ended up prepping it, I think, for the feature. Yeah. And it still did lay rubber. I think if it wouldn't have laid rubber, it would have been an awesome track. You know, I've watched a lot of good races there in the past. It, it's good around the bottom. It's a tricky bottom to run. And then it gets up by the fence and kind of flattens off in three and four, but banks up in one and two. And I don't really remember what the battle for the lead looked like that night. I think Kerry Madsen, yeah, Kerry Madsen won yeah. um, in the 14 car, which they were pitted right down the way from us. But um, that was a really fun facility. After we ran there on Friday, we trucked straight to Knoxville which being at Knoxville was the most incredible thing I've ever done in my whole entire life as a dirt racer. Yeah. Like we, uh, we parked outside of turn three, I think it was because we had to get the car ready for race day. And we're, you know, this is like one of their first races. They're kind of leading into nationals and, uh, you know, three sixties and four tens and whatnot. And just, you know, being there that day, seeing all the trailers, everyone get ready. Like it was, um, it was such a top notch experience. The atmosphere at Knoxville is next to none, especially, you know, like we talked about on the infield there, but not even on the infield, like on the outside where we parked. I don't remember, did we park in front of, it was like a, uh, there was actually a graphics shop for yeah, sprint cars. Yeah, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was uh, for 360. Yeah, so for 360, there was so many, like Knoxville is a racing town. There's nothing 
in Knoxville other than racing. So wherever yeah. you turn, it's all about sprint car racing. And so when we parked there, you know, I don't know what I really expected. Do you know what you expected going there? No, I mean, like, I wasn't really sure how the whole thing worked because I never went to Knoxville even as a fan. Right. And so, like, when we were there the first week for the 410 or the or for the, for the All-Star show, because we weren't there for 410 Nationals, but for the 410 race before kicked off 360, the 360 right. week, you know, we, we parked inside cause there was room, right. you know, out, out, but you're still outside the track, you're inside the fairgrounds. And so we were kind of hanging out more inside that, uh, for that day we raced, which first laps around Knoxville was like insane. Like, yeah. You're going fast. It's all about holding the wheel straight. We still had some engine problems, but we were able to get into the B main and we ran like seventh. We were two spots out of the transfer into the A that night, yeah. which I think we had like a 45 car field. So obviously there was, was a, lot, a more, lot, there was a lot more cars than the previous nights. But then when we came back for 360, like you said, we parked in the parking lot across the street right. because there wasn't as much room. Right. And uh, I mean, we had, we were right next to, is it, it's called Mr. C's or whatever. There was a breakfast place. Something like Pizza that. Hut. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were, and we're right across the street from the fairgrounds. And then over to our left, there's a Casey's. Like, I mean, everything is right there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I mixed that up a little bit because I forgot we went there in the 410 before the yes. 360. Okay. Okay. I got you now. I remember um, what you're talking about because one thing I wanted to mention about that 410 show, this was the first time we had been to Knoxville. Yeah. And uh, I remember the way they do their um, firing off for engine heat yeah. and, and sectional pitting is pretty phenomenal. Oh, it's Based very on your smart. pill draw. Like, I think that's a pretty big hats off to Knoxville for that. But also, like you were talking, um, there was a barbecue place. Like right across the oh, way. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it's called, but yeah. I don't know what it is exactly called either, but they had some of the best brisket sandwich I've Incredible. ever had. Like the food they had there was pretty awesome. And uh, that's something else I want to talk about. Like um, it's funny because we always mention about how um, we have to go to Walmarts to upload because they have the best yes. Wi-Fi. Well, the Walmart in Knoxville has all Sprint Car apparel yes. pretty much. They have Sprint Car diecast shirts, all kinds of stuff, whatnot. A lot of Brian Brown stuff yeah. because of Casey's General Store and whatnot that's right there. And Brian Brown's pretty big there at Knoxville. But uh, the Casey's General Store, that's the first time we've been there, right? Yeah, it was so good. Oh, the pizza's good. Everything there. Like, I wish we had a Casey's out here. The soft serve. They How have, many like, times did we get soft serve? <laughs> <laughs> if anyone doesn't know us, like, I am a huge soft serve ice cream guy. It's my favorite yeah. dessert. And they had a machine. So, like, heck, they probably, heck, we it's got 75 we, cents. We gained some points on our Casey's card or whatever for, for going there a bunch. Um, but you mentioned Walmart. One of the ways we got to Walmart, and this just goes to show Knoxville, yeah. best fans. Is, the Jensen brothers, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we met, uh, we met some fans in Knoxville that had, uh, they, well, I guess they'd come over to our pit because we were parked, mm -hmm. uh, like you said, in front of that graphic shop right across the street. Stopped by, we came, uh, good buddies, like there was a whole group of them. There's like five, mm -hmm. but a couple of them had mopeds and they like, yeah. I didn't realize that in the Midwest in certain locations in Knoxville specifically, if you have your golf cart and has like a flag on it, or you have the mopeds or all this, you can just drive them wherever it's at all street 15. legal. Yep, at 15. You don't understand. I mean, like we're from the West coast. Like I, I've never seen someone in my whole entire life on a moped, you know, rolling Let through alone, Medford, Oregon. These kids are not that big either. And I'm six, two, yeah. six, three. So I'm tall. And these kids are, you know, they're, they're little. And yeah. I'm like, what the heck? You guys are on mopeds? Yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah. So, like, these guys let us use their mopeds to go down to Walmart, which was probably a solid mile or two, I would say. Somewhere in there, yeah. You know, I mean, we're doing, like, 35 on the mopeds. Wide you know, open. Ahead of cars are right behind us. Like, it's the craziest thing. And that made it super easy because we could upload. We needed stuff. Um, and then, also, we kind of got to see a little bit more of the town because we obviously didn't have a car. Right. But just, like, 
how the neighborhoods are, like literally right across the street from Knoxville. Like people are parking in other people's um, in in the neighborhoods, and people like sell like their their literally their home like in front of it for parking for parking for like the week and stuff. And that's a great way to kind of build connections with just the people that live there and guys that like to come back every single year as fans of the Knoxville Nationals. But man, like just seeing all of that. Also, we went to Slideways. Slideways, for, yeah. And that was <laughs> that was something else. Um, you know, we had some good battles with some more fans there that we, you know, we we never met before, but yeah. they ended up being fans. And- that, the atmosphere at Knoxville is so intense. If you've never gone, I highly re- recommend oh, going. Yeah. Um, I think between Knoxville and Chili Bowl, the only difference is, is Knoxville is year round. Like those yeah. people that live there live and die by sprint car racing. That's all they know, Knoxville Raceway. Yeah. And I feel like you're going to get that same atmosphere at Chili Bowl yeah. for the extended time of Chili Bowl or the Tulsa shootout. But I just, I can't believe, like, I couldn't imagine living in a place like Knoxville because yeah. um, I think, who was it? I think it was Aaron Reitzel who literally pushed his car yeah. um, down stories. the street. Yeah. Pushed his car down the street after they practiced or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they had an issue with the car. And so they had to like push it back to his house, which he didn't live that far from. And it was, yeah, it was like right down the road. So they're literally pushing their car down the street, but that is just like kind of a racer's dream or paradise yeah. where, um, you know, they have this top tier facility for sprint car racing and all these people that just live and die by it. It was definitely one of the coolest experience I've ever been a part of. Yeah, for sure. And one thing to mention before we went to Knoxville, we went to my favorite racetrack in the whole entire world, the Lakeside Speedway, which yeah. was, uh, Let's see, that's, oh, it's right outside of Kansas City, and um, small half mile, that was another phenomenal facility, racetrack, and it ended up being a good night for us, because we started 15th and ran 7th, and it was really fun to be back at Lakeside, because that's that's a a track I wish ran sprint cars more, the Outlaws go there, ASCS goes there, Um, and that was a a 360 show, and something to also mention is right before Lakeside, kind of backtracking, so we ran Knoxville in the 410 on Saturday. Yeah. Then we worked on the race car Sunday, got it all ready to go. We still had Monday off before we ran Tuesday and then got into 360 Nationals. And so we're like, you know what? We want to have something. We want we want to do something fun. And we so, don't get many opportunities to do this. No, at least with how our schedule was, like when we were in the Midwest. Because, you know, we, we were only in the Midwest twice this year. But when we're back there, you know, we're obviously racing like every single day. If there's a race, we're going to go to it. We're back there to race. But this was the first opportunity we had. and It was going to be our only opportunity to just see the area that we're in or, or, yeah. or, or experience something. And so we went to, it's called what? Worlds of fun. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Worlds of fun, which was there in, I think it was in Kansas city. It was about 25 minutes from the track, 30 minutes from the track. And we go there and we're like, you know, let's go, let's go try out an amusement park. So it was see what it Bennett, is. myself, my younger sister, Carly, my older sister, Carissa, which was perfect. There's four of us. So when we ride rides, there's two and two. Uh, but yeah, we, we checked out this amusement park. And it ended up being a lot of fun. I think we oh, have, yeah. to have a good story about the ticket, the, the tickets, how that ended up happening. Yeah, you so, want to tell that? So, yeah, so I don't know if you've ever been to like Six Flags or something like that, but they have the flash passes. And I actually recently got a flash pass for the first time, and it's awesome. You just dial it up, and you go well, right to also, the front of the line. Everything's digital. Like, we had to pay with a card. Right. And I forgot my card, <laughs> and that was a whole disaster. Like, I, I went to get my, my debit card, but I forgot it, and it was in the wrong place. Yeah. So Bennett, we had to use Bennett's, and so it, yeah. Anyway, continue. So I t- I told the people we want all flash passes because the way we read it online is it was like 
89 bucks general admission or 102 bucks and you all get flash passes. So we're like, oh, we'll just do that and whatnot. Well, it's 102 plus, $102 plus like the $89 <laughs> entry fee per person. So you're pushing $200 per person. And they're like, what in the heck? So, or we were like, what the heck? Why is it so expensive? They explain it to us and we're like, yeah, no, we'll just, uh, we're just going to swipe the card and go ahead and get regular passes. So we have to wait in line and whatnot. And actually the day we went, it was not very long lines. It's pretty, it's pretty good. So after that whole 10 minute debacle on trying to get passes, um, we go to the front or they send us to the like. I don't know customer well, service. We, stand. Well, they ended up putting one of the flash passes on our thing. Remember? Yeah. So only one of us had a flash pass, and we're like, "Well, does that work for all of us?" They're like, "No, one person." So we're like, "Okay, so we got to go get that refunded." Well, we went over to get it refund refunded, and the guy there was like, "I don't understand what's what you're trying to do." And we explained it, and so he's like, "Here, I'll just refund it." So he refunds the whole yeah, everything. He, did, he didn't. Yeah, he meant <laughs> he refunded my entry fee, Tanner's, Carly's, Chris's, and the flash pass. So a couple days later, yeah. we get paid back everything we entered for. So we pretty much went to World of Fun for free. Yeah, which yeah, which was supposed to happen. Like he was yeah. just trying to refund the money we were talking about, and we were still trying to keep our you know obviously yeah. so we could go. But he, he did it wrong, and then we ended up three three days later. We realized like, hey, we just went to this amusement park for free. <laughs> a huge fun, a uh, huge uh, thanks to them. And I think it's funny, just uh, the ironic part of you know your dad getting frustrated and whatnot yeah. before that. And we came out so good with that free trip there. Yeah, because what ended up happening, I guess, to give more context, so we didn't have a car. So my dad unhooked the motorhome yeah. from the trailer, which was at Lakeside Speedway. We had a perfect spot to park it. He drove us. And to, we have the dogs, too. And the dogs. He drove us to Worlds of Fun. Which is like 45 minutes away. I forgot my debit card in the trailer <laughs> that was still at Lakeside. So my dad's obviously frustrated because that was what I was. we were going to use to pay for this whole thing. And then, you know, we had the, de- the debacle, like Bennett said, yeah. of we were trying to buy general admission, trying to buy passes. They, they charge us wrong. So we go to the customer service. They end up refunding us the whole thing. Yeah. And we just... We it had, turned out awesome. We had a fun day in the park. We literally spent all day there. And props to my dad because he did wait in the yeah. parking lot, in the RV, all day. I mean, obviously, he was catching up on rest or whatever. You know, there's plenty of things to do. But he did wait for us there. We came back out right when the park closed. And we literally rode every single awesome ride there was. A fun thing to mention there is I know a lot of people are maybe scared of roller coasters. I love roller coasters. (laughs) And I don't think you're too scared of roller coasters either. But the one thing me and Tanner can both agree on, and I just don't like them after this, is the swings. Oh, dude. And so we went up on these swing things that are all animated. You go up like 300 feet or something, and we're up there. I about had enough of it because you're just sitting in a chair. I like, feel like I was is, more scared than you because you at least. Yeah, I had my phone out. Bennett I was like, this phone out videoing me because you guys have to imagine I'm I'm riding the swings with my eyes closed like this. I will not look down. I will not. I was so freaked out. I yeah. hate, I hate heights, and uh, I I don't think I'll ever do that. Well, again. the funny part is, is two weeks later we found a news report. Those <laughs> swings broke down at the top for I think it was like 45 minutes to an hour. So. <laughs> So people were stuck on the ride we were on for like 45 minutes to an hour on the very top. Which was 301 feet exactly. Yeah. So I was like, you know. No way. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to do the swings Someone again. would be getting sued if I'm stuck up there for 45 minutes for the trauma. Um, so that was a fun day at the amusement yeah. park and just how the whole story went. Then as we talked about, we, we ran Lakeside 15th to 7th. Surface was incredible. Wish, I wish we had a Lakeside out here. Um, then we went to Knoxville 360 Nationals. Had some issues, stuff went wrong, 
but to cap off 360 nationals, we were able to charge through the D main event. Then we uh, were able to start 24th lat or 22nd it was maybe or 24th and then run eighth in the C and we were close to transferring and we were still having some engine problems with our 360. But Knoxville, man, like I had a blast there. Like just the racing. There's a bottom. There's a top. It's slick. You can race. You can pass. And it's just it's just a it's a cool half mile. And I have a question about that too. Um, and I know as a racer, I kind of have my opinion on this, but so I sure I'm sure you've started like Knoxville. You're deep in the alphabet soup. I'm sure. Yeah. Have you ever done that West Coast Nationals? I've, yes. Do you think like once you start almost in the last main of the day and you transfer and you transfer, like you get rolling Yeah. You and do. you just know the surface because that's how these days work. It's like that. Yeah. Like each main is one after another. Um, I think your momentum really helped in Knoxville because sure. the biggest thing you lacked in Knoxville is just laps and experience. Yeah. So the more laps you got there, I think the faster you got, and, you know, those races are only 12 laps yeah. and you're starting 23rd, 24th. Um, there's not much you can do. So, you know, a, a great job from going all the way up to eighth after transferring yeah. out of the first one. But I feel like, what do you think it's easier to start in a B main and try to transfer into the A? Or is it almost easier to get rolling from the D to the C to the B? If you have things go your way. I mean, the hardest part at Knoxville is the track is so big. So guys get spread out. But like yeah. even where I started um, and I, I didn't pass like a lot of cars, but if you have some things like in the C, what happened was a lot of guys like in the back go into the first corner and they don't really like if you if you kind of want to get risky, um, if some guys maybe like enter right through the middle or something like one thing about Knoxville is if you can, you know, if you can build a little bit of momentum and hit your mark, like you can drive by a couple guys. And I know um, a couple guys, like I said, they, they kind of lifted and were like right through the middle. So I just mm -hmm. gassed the top, the first corner. And I think I gained like two or three spots, you know, but those two or three spots are key because if I'm stuck behind those guys for a lap, you know, the longer people just get spread out. Yeah. But we had that huge crash in the C main on that first lap. Yeah. And I got involved. I mean, I wasn't involved. Well, I was, but a car flipped in front of us. I see him wreck. So I start slowing down. Another car hits me hits my top wing, rips the posts out. So my wing falls down because it's just connected by the, the T in the back. And then mm -hmm. my nose wing's destroyed. I don't remember how my nose wing got destroyed now that I think about it. Uh, maybe I hit, I don't know. I don't know either, but quick thing to mention, this wreck you're talking about, when I say this is the most violent sprint car wreck I've ever seen in person. Parts and, all over the And track. I didn't see it physically in person, but I was on the other side of the track so I could watch the big screen to watch a replay. <clears throat> how this guy is still completely fine today like i actually saw this wreck and i'm like this this might be one of those days where we we cut the races like yeah. this guy's gonna be injured bad the whole front end the down tubes and everything are gone yeah. the motor's gone like it st it started at the motor plate to him the rear end tank flew out of the fuel the rear like this guy all that was left was the cockpit and it's pretty impressive that he was okay and it just shows the safety standards what to but that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So much stuff flew off of this car. Yeah. It took out um, the front wing, and I, I don't remember either. I don't even know what, now that I think about it, I don't know what did that. But, I mean, I know the backwards. I had a backwards cam, and you see someone ramp over my left rear, which is what damaged took my wing. Took off the top wing, And yeah. then you could see the guy climb out, you know, behind me yeah. uh, on the footage. It's just, like, Knoxville safety crew, too, is so top-notch. And so they pushed me to the work area. Yeah. And props, um, a couple guys from the Rudine car, yeah. you know, came and rescued our day. You know, it's those crew guys on these teams are so good because they're, they're trained. They're trained to when cars come in the work area, they know what even doing. not even there. So like yeah. as much as like, obviously Carly, my dad, like anybody, they can, you know, we can tackle the situation, but 
you understand these guys are like that like they know exactly yeah so they ran over even though we ended up having a lot of time because they had to clean up and then they had to make sure the guy was okay haul the car off so we had plenty of time but in the moment we didn't know that so um one of the routine guys came over he's like hey you want us to change this front wing like they were if we had the, another front wing there like they would have had it changed we we're like no we're probably all right we just straightened it back out and that ended up being fine yeah. because there really wasn't i mean it was a c main but and it was it was good enough to be fixed um but then they got the the wing post back in um, and the wing was fine and ended up, we were still able to race, tra- uh, or not transfer, but get close yeah. and maybe with a couple more laps and if our engine was even running better, because I, I still, things just didn't seem right, but it was still going and it wasn't like, you know, too hot or anything. It's just, you know, something was lacking a little bit to where yeah. we just needed that little extra, um, to continue moving forward. But man, Knoxville, I mean, nothing, nothing bad to say about the place. We got to watch Geo Selzy and Darren Pittman put on an absolute thriller, side by side or, you know, right there next to each yeah. other for, you know, the whole A-Main event. And Gio was able to snooker him, you know, right there at the last lap to win the 360 Nationals. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, we talked to older brother Dominic um, yeah. in a couple podcasts earlier, but also, you know, Gio really was on fire. I think he won. Did he win he, the All-Star? He won 360 Nationals. No, won the three, Kerry won the 410 night with the All-Stars, but Gio was good the, there. He won the 360 night, though. Uh, right? Yeah. The, oh, yeah. He won the 360 that night, the weekly show right. before. And then he came back and won the 360 prelim. Won his prelim he, and Nationals. And Nationals. So that was pretty cool to watch that. And I think to t- touch on um, the whole crews jumping in on your car, I think next to NHRA, like I mentioned, when they rebuild motors and whatnot, if you get the opportunity to watch a sprint car team that knows this car's coming in and you know what car it is that's going to come in, like, you know, if Donnie Shots comes in, that car's getting rebuilt like that. Yeah. It's one of the coolest things to watch because it's it's honestly just a perfectly formed puzzle that just goes together so well and yeah. fast. And it's just cool. how, and how also multiple crews can do it, you know, because yeah. like, obviously, you know, maybe Donnie's crew or Sheldon's crew, like they kind of know what their job is when like a guy comes, when their car comes in, but how three or four other guys from different teams can jump in and be that much a part of the system. And it all clicks. Like it's, it's unbelievable the, to watch. The like sportsmanship you said. in dirt racing is pretty high. And I think it is, you know, back to that whole Dirt racing is kind of our family type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we finished up the Knoxville 360 Nationals. We obviously would have liked to stay, but we had to come back for the next eventful topic, yeah. ISCS Week of Speed in the Sprint Car and the Dwarf Car. One and thing I wanted to mention before that, the night we left for Knoxville Nationals is the biggest lightning I've ever seen in my life. Oh, from 360? From 360 Nationals. Oh, yeah, because you were up front. I was sitting up front with John to keep him awake and I remember we were also battling or racing a storm that night. We were trying to get the Nationals in, so the the pace just went really quick, but on our way home, that was the biggest lightning storm I've ever been in and I've ever seen in the Midwest. And I know uh, so many trucks and stuff from the hail were just pulled off. Every rest stop was full. And you still like flying. <laughs> we, John did not, I think John drove all the way until like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. until we finally found a truck stop that was empty. And I think we slept in there and, it, and we knew when to get up because it got so dang hot in the yeah. back of the hauler, the humidity and whatnot. But um, I just wanted to mention like that was insane. Yeah, that was uh, the Midwest has some of the craziest weather yeah. you will ever. Nothing like the West Coast. This place is so predictable out here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we we head home. We were all ready to be home. It was a crazy trip. Obviously, when you're racing with those guys, it's so easy to get beat down mentally, physically, all yeah. of that. And just kind of keep 
you know, keep everything going. So that's why it was fun. Even like we got to do the, I talk about the amusement park because it just keep, it keeps things going, you know, yeah. it's a refresher. And um, in the middle of a, a chaotic week is we're trying to run against the best drivers going into the biggest week of racing in 2021, uh, as far as sprint cars go. Yeah. So we head home. Uh, do you want to maybe start off with ISCS speed week a little bit? Carly was running yeah. all si seven nights in the uh, sprint car and then the dwarf cars with six nights you want to talk about it. well it's kind of funny um i always like to make the light of the bad situations in my life or whatnot but shit really hit the fan the moment we got back home so my mom came and picked me up because i was gone for oh, so long i didn't shoot. even drive up I forgot about this so my mom comes pick me up in her brand new 2021 jeep gladiator and uh this is the night we get back from the midwest i think you guys are tired i'm tired we're just ready to go you know everything rest. we're just like yeah we're like oh, we're just over yeah everything. so she picks me up it's about dusk we leave tanner's house and we're going down the road not even two minutes after we leave the road and i swear to god i've seen videos of deer jumping hitting cards and you see it happening this deer appeared out of midair smokes our windshield i'm covered in glass my mom's freaking out the deer's struggling to get up in the road and i'm like well if it dies we get to get some deer meat i guess but it got up and took off and this lady's dumbfounded on the side of the road like what just happened and i was like oh, i've never been in a car accident knock on wood thank god i never have or been in an incident where we hit an animal or a deer and now this deer just dang near went through the glass so that kicked that off the, the gas, glass gets smoked, stay the night at Tanner's again, next morning get it fixed, go home. And then uh, start a speed week, my very first race in the dwarf car, official race, we get the dwarf car ready. Um, it's it's awesome, it looks all good and whatnot. We get up there, one of the best mud pack sessions I've ever had, that was awesome. Yeah. To get to go out with all the other cars and the sprint cars, watching Carly roll past me and whatnot. Uh, hot lap session, it was it was awesome. Like I, I can't really justify because i haven't had enough laps in it but the dwarf car feels so much different compared to an outlaw cart like an outlaw cart you drive it hard but like the dwarf car i obviously wasn't driving hard enough but in the hot lap session like someone blew my doors off but it was actually good that he did because i learned something but you actually bury those cars and i was always hesitant watching with the shocks and springs. I don't want to like bike up and flip it obviously for my first time, but you bury these cars. And I kind of did the final two set laps of that session I did when I got my doors blown off. Um, but it was pretty cool. Like that car felt so awesome and I can't wait to race it. Um, next year we're already working on plans to get the motor rebuilt. And that's what leads me into qualifying. I get one, I take the green and qualifying come around for the second lap and boom, I hear something go wrong. Turn it off. There's oil smoke coming out. And I'm like, one of two things, the driveline just blew off because I heard this clunking noise or the motor blown up. And sure enough, when we get back to the pit, there's a hole, two holes in the case. So the motor blew up. I don't know what exactly happened yet, but we're tearing it out, going to get it rebuilt. But, um, for the few laps I did get, it's pretty awesome to be able to finally drive it up to pace uh, on a dirt track like Coos Bay. So I think one last fun fact before we get into our weekend with the World of Outlaws after ISCS Speed Week was uh, Bennett actually had put this in our notes. We ran 27th in the All-Star Circuit of Champions points. Yeah. I, I did not realize that yeah. until he had brought that up. So we were only 5,000 points behind Tyler Courtney. Um, pretty good season, I guess. I'm, I'm surprised we were that high up. I mean, really, uh, that goes in the resume right there. 30th <laughs> top 30, um, in all-star points. And I, I, I don't know what I was looking at, but I remember it was like probably 11 PM and I was just laying in bed and I was like, well, what did 
Tanner finish an all-star point. So I went and looked at it. And I guess it makes sense, seven. though, because we ran like 14 shows with them. So you kind of add that up. It's like, all right, you know, probably not as many people did that many. Right. Uh, but wow. Yes. And here's another fun fact. Guess how many people entered the season? I think it was 303 cars. Shoot. So 303 cars earned points that season with the all-stars. <clears throat> and, you know, that's literally they run one show, DNF, and that counts for them. So um, I think that's pretty at good. 27th in points. We'll take that. Uh, the next big weekend and kind of, I would say, one of our final hurrahs of, of 2021 in the sprint car was our weekend with the World of Outlaws at the Skagit Speedway in Grays Harbor, Labor Day weekend. Uh, to kind of touch on that, racing with the Outlaws is really no different than racing with the All-Stars. Um, besides, it's, you know, it's the Outlaws. It's the greatest show on dirt. Uh, Skagit was packed that weekend. Probably 5,000 fans the first night. Sold out probably, or close to the second night. There was probably at least... For the second and third night, you know, 10,000 people. It was the craziest sight. Uh, Skagit was full, 25,000 to win the Sunday show, and then we went to Grace Harbor on Monday. Had, a, had had some struggles racing with them, and I don't think Skagit was a good place to run a 410. Yeah. But one of the things about it was it was just so fast. Like, it never really slowed down all night, each night. Mm-hmm. You know, qualifying was quick. Heat races were fast. A main event, even once it slicks off, you're still on the gas so much. Yeah, And we learned a lot about our car. We learned a lot um, setup-wise and kind of what to do. Even, I think, with maybe our 360 program at Skagit as we struggled a little bit there. And we just tried some stuff to get the race car, you know, to do what feels comfortable for myself. And finally, by the third night, um, you know, we got lapped. It was a 40-lap feature. And I think they lapped up to, like, seventh. Like, most of the field got lapped. Uh, but at one point I was holding good pace with Casey Kane, a couple other cars, just trying to get really comfortable racing around the high side and, you know, trusting the car and putting it where it needs to be. But the racing was good. I think it's Skagit for four tens, but it was only good because of lap traffic. You know, like once someone was out front, it was just gassed up all the way around the top. Like I said, the times don't slow down. Um, but our weekend started off one funny story on that weekend. I don't know really how it happened, but Go out there, you know, you got to think like, all right, racing with the outlaws. So there, there is that like, there is that atmosphere, that thought mentally, you know, who, who you're out here hot lapping with. So I roll up for my first hot lap session, gas it up. My front wing flies up and is parked on my, it's parked on my hood um, because I'm not going to blame anybody on the team. I think Carly was one that put that on in the shop, but uh oh, not good, but no, it, it is what it is. So I didn't get a hot lap session. So really my first laps in a 410 were in in qualifying and uh mm-hmm. i i never really felt super good those first two nights but i finally felt comfortable the third night you know like i said just trying to get the race car better you know that place is very fast behind the wheel it does you can feel the speed and so overall it was a good place to race with the outlaws but it was going to be a really hard place to be better than them because they're just so fast and you know my style where i feel like if i were to be put in an atmosphere to race against them right off the bat would be a place more like Grace Harbor. Yeah. We had a couple less cars there. Um, I think we had about 18 to 21, and we qualified 10th. We actually looked really good in qualifying. I felt good. We had a very similar setup to what we did at Skagit. Got, uh, started fourth in the heat race, ran fourth, and put together some good laps, but that place slickened off a lot. And Grace Harbor, like when we were there for limited speed week, and you've seen it a couple times in the past as well, like sometimes you kind of walk away from it and you're like, I'm not really sure about this place. You know, when right. it's really good, it's awesome. Yep. But a lot of times you're like, man, just the surface and it's not the raciest or it just lays rubber. When we were there with sometimes the Sometimes it gets rough too. And it can get rough and rocky. And uh, But when we were there at the 410s, 
Elma, at least in its current condition, is a 410 track. I mean, you have the power to run way up on the flat part of the place. So it got around the top. It got around the bottom. I mean, it was probably 8 or 10 feet from the wall at the end of the night. It was incredible. And you could move around, and and you had to lift. You had to be easy on the throttle. You couldn't just hammer it. And uh, so we started 10th in the feature and actually, at one point, I was running eighth through ninth, and I, man, if it would have went green all the way, I probably would have ran in the top ten. I think yeah. um, I was right behind. I think Craig Kinzer, Sheldon Hodenshield was behind us at one point. But I got in one of those things where I got going, I made one mistake, and then one car slid me. And after that, I just you know you get out of your rhythm. And I think then Hod slid me, and then we had a restart. I was battling right behind Casey Kane, and um, from there, I just started making a couple mistakes, and I dropped back. Um, and I think we ended up finishing like 13th or 14th, but that was a really fun place to run with the outlaws. Cause it was a lot more my style and the feature. Um, you just had a little bit more time to figure things out and try different lines versus Skagit, just like rim riding right around the top, close to the wall yeah. and, um, or running down low wherever, wherever the fastest lane was. So I didn't actually get to go to any of those races, unfortunately, but, um, racing with the all-stars versus the outlaws. Um, obviously you got more races with the all-stars, but was there any similars, like similarities that you feel? Because these are two of the premier yeah. dirt racing leagues. I mean, the All-Stars first World of Outlaws. Um, was there anything that was different? The biggest thing is the All-Stars. Qualifying's not as important. Like, I mean, you have to qualify good, but there's a smaller window. Because with the All-Stars, you're just going up against your group. Group, right. And so if you qualify fourth in your group, you're looking good for your heat if you can go out there and win the heat. Yeah. The Outlaws, we didn't really qualify good besides Grace Harbor. So every night, you're just buried you and know? you're and you're qualifying against um the whole field there the whole field so if the track changes and you're not in a good spot you know you you're screwed but if you're um which granted with only 20 cars it doesn't change a whole lot but you know usually there is a better spot to be in you know it's yeah. not like it's completely even across the board so like when i went out at grace harbor it was very early um and that was that was it now one story i do have actually from grace harbor one of the s- kind of scary moments so in qualifying, you, you're pushed off down the staging lane, this long road. Well, they usually push you off when the driver in front of you gets like the white flag or, you know, they have someone telling you. Mm-hmm. Well, they pushed me off way too early. So I'm like, I get fired off and all of a sudden I realize that Logan Schuhart's only getting the white flag and I'm like, I can see the track. And in a sprint car, you can't just stop. So I'm like, right. I'm going to be on the track way too early. So I am like holding the brake off the gas. Like I'm rolling around at like 800 RPM, like almost about ready to kill it. Cause like, yeah, I'm about to go on the track right as he's coming. You know what I mean? Like we would have had a collision. Luckily I was able to get it slowed down just enough. And I started swerving to where right as I was going on the track, he was just going to the checkered. Like it was actually extremely scary for me. I don't think anyone else probably noticed it. Cause I was the only one that, had this panic of like, oh no, he still has one whole lap and I can see him out there. Um, right. So that was just an interesting moment. Qualified good, got through the night. Definitely would love to run with the Outlaws again when they come through the Pacific Northwest. And hopefully it sounds like we're going to have a lot more 410 shows in the area. Um, Skagit released their schedule. They have three 410 shows, hopefully Grace Harbor, a couple of the other places because that is one of the cool parts is at least since I'd ran those tracks before when you're racing with the Outlaws, you have a rough idea of what to expect. Yep. And um, not that it gave me any advantage, but at least, you know, I'm not showing up to Missouri State Fair I-70 for the first time racing with the All-Stars like that. Yeah. Uh, so that was our outlaw, re- outlaw Weekend. Really wasn't a whole lot to it. Fairly quick. They run an efficient show. Kind of the same thing every night. You know, try to qualify good. If you don't, you're behind the eight ball and you just try to learn from there and get the race car better. Uh, after that, we had one race with Carly at Cottage Grove. Um, and, and actually, she ran really good. She ran second for their final race of the season. And 
It was actually interesting because my dad and I were setting up the car that night and with some help from a couple people at the track, just like, you know, throwing around ideas, we made a couple slight changes and Carly, that was one of her best nights definitely behind the wheel. And that was a good way for her to end her season. Yeah. Um, and one of our ne- next podcast guests actually won that night, Johnny Burke. Yeah. And so he'll be coming That's on the show soon. I'm so excited to talk about, because that was his first win that night as Carly tried to track him down. Uh, then we ran Fall Nationals, had two nights at Chico, first time ever being there. What a unique track. You've watched Chico in the past before, man. Like, Many times, yeah. Gets curbed up, gets r- racy, um, can rubber down quickly. Like, it's just a combination. I think one thing to touch on as far as... Um, Chico and you know I know me and you have a very similar opinion like California is weird you know yeah. like that was considered one of their bigger shows I think it paid 5,000 to win um this final night which is all right but there's 70 cars in the pit area like that's yeah. that's what's so crazy to me about California is how many cars like you know are in the state how many tracks there are you know not many times do you just go to well I mean a, a bigger weekend but you know 70 cars in the pit area with you know at least 20 or 30 very very competitive that can run up front yeah and i think that race next to silver cup um for 360 shows yeah are kind of neck and neck but like you were saying is like it's crazy how these tracks handle the that large of a car count yeah because back in the midwest you're really not pushing that size of a car count unless it's the nationals or maybe king's royal yeah or but like you, the Hockett or some, yeah, yeah. some of the bigger ASC shows. Husky but, 50. Like yeah. even those sprint car races, you're not pushing any of those sizes. Yeah. Whereas you are back here on the Midwest or I mean on the West Coast because um, even like we were just at Tulare had how many cars? 70. Heck, like I think we might have been in the 80s for Trophy Cup. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, and it's just because of how big 360s are out here and how small 410s are. You know, it's just, right. it's such an interesting topic that you could really talk about for a long time. So, like, personally, I wish, obviously, we wish it was the other way. I wish there was less 360s and all More these 410s, 410s yeah. you know, but that's just, that's just not how the state ended up going. So, right. um, we ended up making the show the second night there. The first night, you've probably seen the clip of me going into three. There was this huge hole. I bike up, I almost absolutely wear out my whole race car. Um, and ended up, you know, having to learn a lot that night and kind of take everything into night number two, but, um, ended up having my wing panel blew off in the A main event when I was running like 12th and then my rear axle snapped all the, it was all like a crazy three laps, but, um, silver dollar was a fun racetrack and definitely a place that I think we're going to be at a good amount in, um, 2022. It's a little tricky. Yeah. And, and just because it is close to the house and now that we've ran there a little bit, I definitely, I'm not saying we're going to be like running there for points, but you know, yeah. if they have a race and we don't have anything going on, they we might as well, especially with some of the other outlaw cart racing they have in the area. Are you going to run silver cup? I think so. Just depending on, I need to see when they come out with their schedule. Yeah. Sometimes it conflicts against red bluff and that's only thing. And it's not Chico necessarily in general, but I mean, it is known for sometimes any racetrack that tries to race in February. Yeah has a chance of not being the greatest. So. Well, I was going to say, Silver Cup normally conflicts on the Saturday portion of the show. Yeah, I think so. So I think you could run Friday night and then go right up to Red Bluff, which is only like an hour, 45 minutes away. Yeah. So, you know, you'd have the big hauler and stuff with you. But I think that's why I'm going to try to run the Dwarf Car at Silver yeah. Cup. So um, that would be fun. So that's a possibility if you wanted to run Friday night. We'll just have to, this is kind of the time of the year when schedules now are starting to come out. So we'll start planning, you know, what the next uh, 12 months look like for our team and and Carly and myself. Um, And then our our last race was Trophy Cup, which was a crazy weekend. We ended up running the two prelim nights and then we hauled up to Red Bluff because our Trophy Cup kind of was a disaster. But that's such a crazy race. And, you know, to Larry in general, like, you know, us both being there, um, I mean, there's just so much about it. It's kind of hard to describe yeah. for someone that's never been to Tulare how it's so different, the racing 
qualifying, you know, how it changes when you have 85 cars, the first guy that goes out to qualify to the last, yeah. you know, I mean, just the trickiest racetrack, you know, to get around and literally watching guys like Rico bounce off the fence to be fast. Like they're driving into the wall through one and two. It's nuts. Like, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe it. So I'm just glad I got some more laps at Tulare. Trophy cup also was kind of a different atmosphere um, in a sense. I don't think you even knew this as much as I did either. Um, when we went there the first night, or the, was, I think it was the first night after the races, the fanfare, kind of all the camping, there is a lot of campers there. Yeah. And you don't really see it because the way turns three and four are, there's kind of a big fence and it's chain linked off and there's trees and stuff. But like there is a ton of camping. So it's pretty cool to see yeah. that camping atmosphere at a huge race like that. And I think some people are saying, they almost took the whole week off just yeah. to camp there. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. To it's see. one thing we just didn't realize. Like, you know, I'd say trophy cup is probably the biggest race on the West coast. Yeah. I, I, it's between that or maybe arguably the biggest 360 show in, in the country. In I mean, country. you could argue like a dirt cup or something like that, you know, fan wise or however you would like want to say the biggest race, but obviously there's so much money up, up for grabs at trophy cup. And I think, uh, Kofoid walked away with like $27,000, you know, so yeah. for a 360 race, incredible payout. It's for a good cause. And it's at uh, one of the gnarliest tracks, you know, on, on this side of the, the Mississippi. So yeah. it was a lot of fun to get to go and compete at that. We have one last sprint car race this weekend at Tulare and Hanford, as long as the weather looks good. But that's kind of our recap of catching everyone up as far as what the sprint car looked like. Yeah. And it's just, um, you know, I mean, now all we're kind of looking forward to this next year. Yeah, we got a, uh, I think we got a lot of plans in the works for sure, um, especially on the racing side and social media. But uh, I think, you know, overall, if you had to rate your sprint car year, um, although you have one more race left this weekend, how would you how would you rate that? Uh, results wise, you know, obviously, I would say not great. Obviously, you always want to do much better. You know, we, we would like to have had more top fives, more top tens. So, you know, I would say we're probably like a B minus or a C plus, you know, on that side of things. Uh, the experience we gain, though, is an A plus. You know, I think mm -hmm. nothing beats experience at the end of the day. And I think a lot of this year was still trying to get our race car better, but also I don't think we realized how much we were kind of throwing ourselves to the wolves yeah. on like new racetracks, racing with the all-stars. Not that we underestimated those guys. We knew it was going to be tough, but racing is just so much mental momentum back and forth, especially when you're racing that many times in the stretches we did. You know, if one night kind of goes wrong, it really dampers, you know, the, the, yeah. or, you know, and takes a toll on the trip if you can't really bounce Rebound. back. So yep. I think that's one thing I learned. There's so much things that really go into, you know, obviously you got to be on top of the race car, you got to be on top of the track all night, you got to, you know, but when you're racing against these guys that also, when we're, when we're in there, they have the home court advantage, you know, every driver yeah. each night has, you know, depending on where they're from, but you know, we're in Missouri, some of those guys, you know, we're putting next to Brian Brown, he has laps around a lot of these tracks that we're going to that we're racing against each night, right. and we're just trying to figure out how to get around them for the first time, so yeah. I think that, like, confidence, mental um, it's just all kind of part of that. And I think this next season, you know, we'd like to just build that up and try to have a really good schedule where we can run a lot of places that we do know. And now going back to places for the second time, it's a whole different ball game. You know, I think the one example I have or the two is Oregon speed week, which obviously that's not in the Midwest, but I felt like that was such a good week for me because I, I felt so comfortable. I knew the mm -hmm. tracks, I knew the people I was up against. And that was, you know, one of my best weeks. And then also when we ran Lakeside in the 360 against the American Sprint Car Series, we were kind of put in a bad position, but um, with our pill drop, with how yeah. that series kind of runs. But we started in the back, and I drove by guys, and I think if I had a couple yellows fall my way, we might have been on the podium, you know, with how good our car was. So not only yeah. how I was behind the wheel, how good our race car was, 
how comfortable we felt. I mean, there's just so many things that go into it, yeah. you know, versus going to places for the first time. So next year, I would say if there's anything, I just want to try to be a little less, you know, timid. And sometimes you just have to go out there and gas it up and see what happens. So 2022 is going to be fun. And I think also one other thing to add to that list is you always want to look at like um, the expenses. And I yeah. think you only wadded up maybe one car. For and sure. that was at maybe I-70 and Skagit yeah. was kind of a bad wreck at the end of Dirt, dirt Cup. Um, but other than that, I don't think, you know, wreck wise, you were, you For kept sure. it fairly clean too. And I know like some other people are more unfortunate in that circumstance. Absolutely. And, uh, I think, you know, running as many races as you have running as many new tracks, new series, all this combined really makes for a perfect mix for destroying stuff. Yeah. So keeping it clean is also a big sure. thing to keep your head up. And about. I know like so many people, you know, obviously look at that differently. Like some people say, if you don't wad up your equipment, you're not driving hard enough. And like, there's so many different ways, you know, how people look at that. But yeah. at the end of the day, we're now, we're just kind of focused, you know, like we said, building our program for 2022. And I think, you know, as much as, like I said, I don't rate our season phenomenal on the results side. Sometimes you have to have stuff like that because it, it then it's going to make us, it makes us better yep. moving forward. And now we kind of know what to expect, especially if we are going to race with the best of the best, because they don't get better than David Gravel, Donnie Schatz, Brad Sweet, yep. Tyler Courtney, all these best guys. So um, I think that's going to kind of wrap up this episode of Off the mm -hmm. Track. Awesome to be back. Uh, expect more podcasts coming in the following weeks. We have guests. We have Red Bluff yep. that that's now started back up. Roseburg, I know that there's you know been some there's stuff some with, conversations there's to some be conversations had. Conversations with the Holmes family is you know we had a little little incident um and more fun stuff that you guys will be hearing about. So make sure you guys subscribe to the channel. Stay tuned every Wednesday, and um, we're just happy to have the show back. See you guys all in the next one. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer.